Baby Friday on the Fan Morning Show Sports at 590 The Fan or Real Friday if you're Justin Cuthbert, mm. who's off to jet set around South America. So that's we're being a little aggressive now. I believe He's it's also Central island, America. Island hop it around is, uh, the it southern is a land, hemisphere. It's a landlocked country I'm going to as well. <laughs> <laughs> so for two, quickly. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I'm going to come back a little vitamin D. I'll be in, Coast, be in Costa Rica at this time next Costa week. Costa Rica? Costa Rica. Actually, I guess leaving. No, I'll be in Costa Rica next, at this time It's a next beautiful week. trip ahead. Very excited. Very excited to get a little time off. Uh, you know what I did uh, look into? They do stream the fan morning show in Costa Rica. Of course they are. I'll be, wait, I'll be doing breakfast with the fan morning show all next week. You better be. Of course. Is it the same time zone? That's going to make me sound. I might be a little bit different, No, right? it'll be a little delayed. I believe. I don't know. Things might oh, line up. Oh, it's two up. hours I different. I won't, Perfect. Be get, I won't be getting the up too early. The pod will yeah. be up. You can wake no, up th- on I the beach. I think live because your 6 a.m. will be my 8 a.m. And I think that's... No, it's currently 4 a.m. there. All right. And it's 6 a.m. here. So it's tough, the wrong direction. Tough start for me. <laughs> Costa Rica that is east. That is a tough start for Or me. west. It is west. It is definitely really? west. Really? It doesn't feel Slightly. like it would be. It's like below... I guess we're kind of... Arizona. The... It's like on that like line that's... As someone that has never been to Central or South America. It's also a big enough country where it spans multiple say, time zones. Depends but maybe where what I side going, you are. Where I'm going, I think, will be two hours. Well, perfect. You get up, go to the beach, you walk around, you pop in your earbuds, and you listen to me break down, hopefully, some good Raptors leaf stuff. You joke, but it's happening. And I will be keeping be tabs. Opening week sure. in the MLB. I am missing the breakdown of the opener for the Toronto Blue Jays on the 30th, unfortunately. That's too bad, The Justin. home opener, though, I'm not missing. You'll be back in time for Masters, so. Back in time for the Masters. Back in time for the stretch run. If I was going to get something in before the summer, it had to be now. Beautiful. I um, will... It's like when I went to Buffalo two weeks ago. Yeah. Same kind of vibe. Same deal. Same, same. It's just crossing the border, either Costa Rica or Buffalo. It's just a short jaunt. <laughs> International. Mm-hmm. All good. Uh, I, I got to admit something because the shoe was on the other foot last night. What would we be like the morning after if, say, Alex Kerfoot was dash three in a single shift in a I'm playoff sure game? sure we can go back and listen to a podcast of that. Which? Alex Kerfoot being dash three. In one shift? In a playoff game? In one shift. Yeah. Ooh, was this you last night yeah, in your little beer I was, league? I was dash three what in one shift. What the hell were you shift. doing out there? Sometimes, like uh, sometimes, it doesn't go well. Sometimes it doesn't go well, and I, I'm a little sympathetic now because, like, I, did I feel like I had a dash three shift? Like, it wasn't great. Just a couple bounces. What was the final score of this game? Didn't get a touch on the puck. Unfortunately, or fortunately, we kind of rebounded a little bit. We uh, only gave up a goal in one other shift, at least without the empty net. So we lost five three, an empty netter. Oh my we god! If you didn't back. play that one shift, you would have won. I was only dash one on the night, so we did get back to a respectable point. Uh, but that cost us that dash three shift. <laughs> Double time. elimination. Now we're looking at a... No. I'm missing next week's playoff game, well, so perfect. my they, season could be over there here. There won't be any dash three shifts, then. But, but yeah, but maybe that's... Uh, that's Maybe that'll help, oh, the, buddy. help matters a little bit. What did the other team have that you guys didn't? Uh, Effort level? I would say a little bit more talent, yeah. You can't buy we, talent. We tried hard, but uh, it just didn't happen. You like they're they're it. a good team, but we we generally like trap up against these guys a little bit. We try to keep it mm-hmm. cool, and then they hit us with three real early, and it was an uphill battle from there. So next week we won't be able to get the um, scouting report or the result. I'll have to get the message from your captain. No, hopefully this. Hopefully it's not over. They're gonna win without me. We'll be all right. But that's a tough shift, man. <laughs> that is a tough shift. <laughs> if Kerfoot was dash three in a playoff game, I mean he's out of town. I, I could There'd be out be of town. people picketing down at Scotiabank Arena. There would be. There would be big issues. I don't think Sheldon would let that happen and probably, I was gonna say, probably you, be off the like, ice within two goals. You don't have a leader on the team that's like, all right, change it up, boys. Come on, get off the ice, Cuthbert. Hey, listen, we uh, 90 seconds. Just roll it over 90 seconds. You don't really have to perform to keep your ice time with us. <sighs> well, let's hope that you can rebound today on your final day before vacay. You can flush that one. Uh, yeah, I've, I've flushed it. It's flushed. Well, I just had to get it off my chest. Now it's flushed. Were you playing against Connor McDavid, who scored his 60th goal of the season last night? I was or not what? playing against Connor McDavid. I was not playing against Connor McDavid whatsoever. Uh, but I, I feel like, I feel like this summer we need to get Leon Dreisaitl in studio to give us a pep talk because he yeah. works wonders 
with his words, apparently. He just flat out said to Connor McDavid, I don't know, Mark Spector for sportsnet.ca wrote a great article, where those where that pep talk was delivered, not really sure whether it was in Spain or a Muskoka cottage. They don't know, but they were hanging out somewhere (laughs) Mm -hmm. cool in the summer. And Leon turned to him and said, there's no reason why you shouldn't score 60. And it turns out Connor McDavid can score 60 and he can do it one game faster than our very own Austin Matthews. That's fun. Part of it is it took him. um, What's the exact 72 games. And it took Austin Matthews 73. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was the direct. I think he knew that when uh, they were pushing for it last night. Well, they're also about to lose the Arizona Coyotes. So someone's got to put the team on their back. This was the exact quote from Leon Dreisaitl. I told him in the summer, there's no reason why he can't. He's so special. He creates so many opportunities for himself. He has enough looks to get there. I'm very happy for him. I'm very proud of him. Did you see the pass? That Leon Dreisaitl, yeah, yeah. I mean, those two are on a on a day where the NHLPA voted him as the league's best passer. Mm-hmm. We kind of saw it. We we kind of saw it from Leon Dreisaitl. That was an unbelievable pass, uh, an unbelievable goal. A great moment, of course, for Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. It's fun to see like superstars do superstar level things. It was great last year with Austin Matthews. It's great this year with Connor McDavid. It felt like the best players in the league in the NHL for too long didn't do these crazy things. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing crazy things from the league's best players, which is awesome. Awesome. We'll get to that NHLPA poll, um, but both players were voted for something special and they kind of just did exactly that last night. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll go through the votes for the NHLPA poll, the player poll, of course. Um, there's some interesting responses. Not a lot of Leafs, not a lot of Leafs in it. Yeah, so. the representation is thin for the old Maple Leafs. And I unfortunately didn't see my name voted in female hockey player that you'd like to play with the most. I think I must have been just like sixth on the maybe list. down ballot. Yeah, down might ballot. Be in there, down ballot. There might have been one. Uh, we'll get to that. And also, Conor McDavid made some good headlines with discussion about Ohani, Otani, and Trout the head-to-head and what that uh, sparked in his brain. But let's get through some Raptors talk. Man, it's sometimes just so difficult. I feel for, as I mention all the time, you got to listen to Will Lou's post-game podcast because this guy is, he's living in the <laughs> he was, Raptors He was fired world. up last night. He was definitely fired up last and night. And so understandably so. And I think it's a really good reference point sometimes when I'm watching and I obviously don't have the Raptors show. And he and Alex live in this world where they only consume to the highest level of degree of Raptors content. And he tweeted it out. Like, this season is exhausting. This season is is really difficult. And I think it's just because they lose games like that last night, 118-114, to the Indiana Pacers, a game that they need to continue to win games. And it just started with an absolute tire fire of a defensive effort against a team that obviously had a lot going on last night. It was Canadian basketball night at Scotiabank Arena, and a couple Canadians showed up for the Pacers. One of them, we talked to his father yesterday. Mm-hmm. That was really special. The key one. Uh, first time three Canadians started a game together in history. That was for the Pacers. And Andrew Nemhard, who we teed up a little bit yesterday, we talked to his father he he had the homecoming, the debut at Scotiabank Arena that you kind of like, you kind of dream about. Two hundred plus friends and family in attendance. He showed up. He ends up getting like the dagger three late uh, in the fourth quarter. He ends up with twenty five points. He shot eleven for seventeen, uh, five for three from three, ten assists, two rebounds, three five minutes, and it was really not like you know what that's something else. That's a happy moment from this game. I, I know the Raptors lost, but you like to see a kid like this, an Aurora kid, local, comes home, has the big homecoming, and actually perform in it. Um, I, I mean, that's kind of as far as the excitement level went in terms of things that I liked from last night's game, and it wasn't even on the Raptors side of it. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like the Indiana Pacers understood the assignment, right? Like from the coaching decisions to Andrew Nemhard to, you know, across the board, they were just more game last night. And uh, give credit to Rick Carlisle starting mm-hmm. the three Canadians on, it what was it, basketball night in Canada, mm-hmm. where you're celebrating these guys coming in. Because <laughs> you like making it like hockey night in Canada. Isn't it something like that? It was like... Canadian basketball night? Yeah, yeah, it's just funny. I'm just so like, Kinda, I, I think... It worked there. Every time I hear football night in America, I just like, it just gives me the, the shivers. I, I hate like it. I feel like it's the worst thing ever, and it's clearly a play on Hockey Night in Canada. Anyway, uh, he he starts the three Canadians. Like, he gets it. 
those Canadians all play really, really well, and they <laughs> they uh, they definitely influence the game. Uh, but Andrew Nemhard was you know, the strongest force in the game, and they have they have you know two young Canadian rookies, and they're shining, and all this stuff is very, very uh, exciting. And it looks like they were more excited to be there. The team that sat Tyrese Halliburton, who warmed up and apparently was was all good, load managed because they are not interested in actually getting into the play-in, although they're only one game back now after that victory. And the Raptors, although they didn't lose any ground to the Atlanta Hawks, like their their position may be slightly more tenuous, even though they're still, uh, you know, firmly in play-in position um, in 10th spot. But like, why was one team up for this? Why were the Indiana Pacers up for this and the Toronto Raptors weren't? It's all about starts and finishes. The start offensively and defensively was awful for the Toronto Raptors. Like some guys were who had it going a little bit early. Fred was good Fred, offensively early, but horrible, there. horrible defensively. And I, I, it just seemed like it was way too easy. They made Andrew Nemhard look like a superstar. And I hope he is that, but he's not that yet. That was maybe his best game, and I'm not watching all Indiana Pacers mm-hmm. games, but I'm sure not all nights look like that one for Andrew Nemhard. Uh, but against the Raptors last night, who just decided they didn't want to provide much resistance early, they won three or four quarters, but they lost the first one so bad that they didn't win the game. And you start slow, it means you're trying to dig yourself out of a hole. They managed to do that. They take a lead at one point but they never really can grasp onto it in that moment. And the shot making between the teams was in favor of Nemhard and the Indiana Pacers late. So they start slow. They can't finish at the end. And it's a brutal, brutal loss to start a stretch of games at home where we had circled, hey, three minimum. Mm-hmm. Now you got to win three straight in order to accomplish that. It could have easily, or not could have easily, it probably should have been threatening to win all four. But you got the Miami Heat as the fourth game, and that that's the most difficult one. So they've started this critical home stretch where you could get yourself into eighth spot finally, get above five hundred finally. Now the it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Nope. It seems. I mean, are they two or three games back of five hundred now? They're uh, thirty-five and thirty-eight. Thirty-five and thirty-eight. So you could get back to five hundred with this trip, but you got to go perfect. And now you've put yourself in a position where there's very little margin for error or few or little or less margin for error is what I'm trying to get at uh, than there were uh, before because it's all about getting that eighth seed. It's so different finishing eighth and finishing ninth, one game to get in versus as opposed to two wins to get in. It's a huge, huge difference, uh, and the Raptors should have been game for that last night, but it seemed like the Canadians playing for the Indiana Pacers were way more interested in being great. So their seven-game home winning streak snapped, like it had to eventually, but... uh... Pre-game, Raptors are without the services of Scotty Barnes, Precious Achu, and Gary Trent Jr. So you're out, you're without three of your key rotation players, and that showed. You get to start Will Barton for his very first Raptors Starting start. Barton. Starting Barton. Um, not sure that that's going to be a point of emphasis down the stretch here. He had a, like, a tiny little stretch there where I was like, oh, okay. And then he fell off. And he played mm-hmm. how many minutes? 23 He got or so. replaced by Malachi Flynn, which yes. kind of tells you about where his night was headed. Exactly. And Malachi actually came in, did kind of the best you could expect from Malachi Flynn. But that didn't happen. Um, Your backup point guard, yeah. There's our probably, guy. Probably expect, uh, he's not TJ McConnell, but like, no. if he's your backup point guard, nice you could probably lean on him it? like a little bit. Uh, that's what I don't get. How do that, like, not that he's like, no slight against TJ McConnell. He seems on the surface a little dime, dime a dozen. A little bit, right? Like he's not like an overly talented guy, but he's he's smart and he's found a niche and he's clearly a capable backup uh, point guard in this league. Then you look at the tournament that's ongoing right now in the in the NCAA, and it's just like that tournament runs on strong guard play. Why are there not enough guards coming? In? Like where do, where's the disconnect where mm-hmm. where there's a bunch of guards dominating that tournament and few of them are able to make that serviceable jump to the NBA. I get it's a different league. I get it's a completely different competition and all that. But you'd think that there were enough in that pool to pick from where you could get someone when you're down bodies on your roster to give you decent minutes. And, of course, Malachi was chosen to be that guy how many years ago, but he hasn't been able to prove himself and that means you're starting a Will Barton, and that means you're starting and you're starting to dig yourself that hole because frankly, he's not good enough to start for an NBA team anymore. 
So you mentioned the Raptors win uh, win every quarter but the first quarter. Um, the attention, the detail, the effort wasn't acceptable at all in that first stretch, and that sets the tone for the rest of the game. And they, they, you know, they found a way to at least keep it competitive down the stretch. But I, the the broadcast put this stat up, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, the point differential by quarter since February 10th. So this isn't with last night's stats because they played it halfway through the broadcast, but I took a photo of it. Um, The Raptors' point differential in the first quarter, plus 46, which is sixth in the league. Second quarter, minus 39, which is 28th in the league. Listen to that swing. Mm -hmm. Third quarter, they come back from halftime, and they're plus 40, which is second in the league. And then to close out the game, the fourth quarter blues, Raptors, minus 46 point differential, 28th in the league. Think about the roller coaster that I just laid out. Incredible starts, let down in the second. Come back from halftime, great mm-hmm. pressure, great energy. Finish out the game, 28th in the league in point differential. It's just, if that's the way your your season since February 10th has gone, it's kind of an indicate indicative of how your season has gone in general. You have these stretches and then you have these colossal disappointments. That's going from 2nd to 28th in a 12-minute span. It also says that your game is constantly sagging. Constantly, right? If and you those start are at, If you start at that level and you always finish at a lower level, your game is constantly sagging until you can reset again. And I guess that says a lot about the bench, I and that, guess. I think that's exactly where it goes. Because you start your players... And then there's a, a lull. Well, when does that happen? Probably but, when you put your bench in. But your starters come back into close games all that's, the time. That's where the fourth quarter is certainly like an enigma, like that you can't close out games and you are 28th in the league and point differential in your fourth quarter. The only thing that's really surprising there is the starts because it does. It feels like that's a major issue with this team more often than not. And it might sometimes, be skewed if sometimes there was they a... do get off to great yeah. starts. So it's it's kind of like uneven. Like you don't know what to expect from them. But what you do bank on is what you mentioned with the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter sag, maybe the second quarter mm-hmm. sag, or the bench unit sag. Yeah, that all makes sense. Like if you look at, okay, so they're out three. Rotation guys. Yeah, but they, and I will say, they were like, also without Tyrese Halliburton. So, yeah, and, and that's, I'm not sure that evens out, but, no, but, but just for the Raptors. Takes away sake, one. Just, and, and their guy, their all star. Mm-hmm. Just for the Raptors, although Nemhart played like Halliburton last night at an all star level. Um, I don't know. Well, is, if it's a playoff game, those three play, right? They were all shooting around before the game. You mean the Raptors? Yeah. Yeah, I would so, hope so. So maybe just in that, like, we're building it up. What an, what an important game. Like, must win. They got to put their foot in the ground and play well starting this trip, starting tonight. And it's like, okay, we got a couple guys dealing with stuff. We'll sit them. All right. Like, maybe, I don't know if you should criticize them that much. But where does it land you when you have to sit three guys who are working through some minor injuries? Well, you got four guys who entered the game off the bench. Jeff Downton, Malachi Flynn, Christian Coloco, Chris Boucher. One of those four you can count on for minutes. You also started Will Barton. So, what? I also thought Will Barton was supposed to be a good three-point shooter. <laughs> uh, I don't remember the last time he hit one. I mean, if he was good enough, he wouldn't have been looking for a oh, team for five. season. He, uh, to, me, he should, to me, he shouldn't be taking five, <laughs> uh, five attempts from the, on the arc. But uh, anyway, like... You are so thin immediately there because you lost those those three guys. Like it, maybe it shouldn't have been a, that big of a surprise because if your only options to help you to help a starting lineup that had to start Will Barton are Doughton, Flynn, Coloco, and Boucher, like you don't have much impact there. You don't have much. You're just trying to paper over this game, and I know it's because they had to sit three guys because they're dealing with injuries, but may, that just goes to the depth of the roster, right? Like, but that also t- Halliburton was out. Nemhard steps up. They have a million guards on that team. Mm-hmm. It didn't affect TJ. McC- he wasn't thrust into this huge role because they were they were down one of their best guard. No, he just continued to play his role because Nemhard was able to step up. And they have other guards that were able to uh, uh, step in for Halliburton and absorb those minutes. They have a million guards. The Raptors have one capable guard, it seems. And every time they're pushed into an area where they have to uh, they have to show their depth. They have to use their depth. They have to have their depth tested. They fail that test every single time. So we're talking about the depth that the Raptors clearly don't have, but where was Pascal Siakam to start this game? 
you know that you are lacking three of your regular rotation players. To me, that signals this is where I become that star and I put this team on my back. I want to be top five in the league. Well, hmm, here's a great opportunity to prove that that's the player I am. Eventually turned it on by the fourth quarter, scored 18 points in the fourth quarter, ends up with 31 points, but non-existent to start that game. What happened? The Raptors lost the first quarter. They end up having to come, you know, fight tooth and nail down the stretch. And yeah, you had a pretty great fourth quarter in, in the third, I guess the second half, I'll say Pascal played well, but you can't just no show to start a game. And Fred was there, but like, let's have a tandem that's working together at the same time. Last week, there's that, you know, that quote that Freddie said post game where he's like, oh, it's nice when your two best players play well at the same time. Like, that wasn't how you started this game. That Pascal didn't, didn't show up. Night. And Pascal didn't show up for the first little while. He wasn't shooting the ball. He wasn't assertive. Like, he wasn't an impact player. For I don't me, think he had a shot in the first six minutes of the game. For me, that's not acceptable. You are a leader. You are a all-star you see that you have players that are not in the lineup you need to elevate your game to start that game so it started with that point defensively offensively wasn't great defensive disaster class i like that and fred whoa sorry emotional (laughs) freddie talked post game about the Raptors having low energy, and for me, that's that's what I saw as well. Like the, the Pacers came out with excitement, something to prove. Maybe it had to do with Canadian basketball night. Of course. But you don't think Nemhart was juiced up for that? you got to be able to find a way to match that level. Um, Quickly on Siakam there. Yeah. He had a great shooting night. 11 for 17, 31 points. I was surprised that once you said he started he had, shooting. Once he started shooting. They they got 18 from him in the fourth quarter, you yep, said? Most, they needed 24. Most he's ever scored they in needed, his career. They needed the three more shots from Siakam because other guys were taking and clanking shots late and it seemed like he had another opportunity even on top of those 18 points to be assertive late and wasn't two clips to play first i'll start with because this is right on that point uh nurse talking about siakam being more aggressive in the second half of the game he shifted towards the end of the first half i thought and and you know play i mean like we're down we're down a couple guys and missing some scoring and things like that and you know you need you know Fred Pascal, OG, our main guys to to step up and and play, and I didn't think Pascal was into the game early and early, but he certainly got going uh, towards the end of the second half, and certainly most of the second half. Yeah. All right. Well, why wasn't he into the game to start? I mean, maybe we're asking for too much of a four game performance. We're not. We're not asking for too much. Like <laughs> it's kind of it sounds so ridiculous when you just hear it out loud. He wasn't into it. It's. I mean, these. This is the season. This These is four the direction that you're going. Are the season that is uh, represent mm-hmm. the chance for you to actually make something of the season. Yes, you can get to the play-in and whatever. You got your chip in a chair. You can start at home and you in a must-win game, and maybe you have a great performance, and you can go on the road and you can get in. But you know what would make things easier? You know what would look way better on your resume uh, as an organization would be earning yourself the seventh or eighth seed, mm-hmm. getting yourself in easily and getting into a playoff round not to, scoreboard watching every night yeah like not biting your fingernails watching, that not, team not loses. hoping that minnesota beats atlanta which they did just getting in on your own accord being assertive going out and getting after it this team bought bought at the trade deadline and you need some time to ramp up the engine you need some time to get excited about this game there's just no excuse for that and again if you leave stuff to chance if you leave stuff to 50-50 scenarios, if you leave it to, hey, you know, we'll act like the Bucks did the, the other game where it's just like all we need to do is turn it on in the fourth quarter. You haven't earned that. The Toronto Raptors have not earned that this season. You can't just turn it on in the fourth quarter when you want to. You can't just start being aggressive in the fourth quarter when you want to because it's not going to be good enough more often than not. You're not good enough as a team. And Pascal Siakam and Freddie have not proven that they're good enough as players to just snap their fingers and be good enough to change the game. And if you can't do that against the Pacers team successfully, you think you can do that against a team that you're going to fight with the play-in? No. Like, this is the habits that you set for the next nine games, which are really important. Three of them at home here to start. And the Raptors had really no excuse like this wasn't a back-to-back this wasn't a a travel game they last played on sunday they had an extra day off in between these two games this is like it's just having low energy or no energy at home which we just talked about yesterday we played these fred clips about how great scotia bank arena is the energy when they're playing well and the fans are playing well i couldn't have scraped it a better night to go out and and start this road trip i I just want to play freddie talking about um being outplayed and having 
a lack of energy in yesterday's game. It was a lot of things tonight. I thought um, just overall low energy, low uh, <laughs> compete level. Um, All right. Lack of execution, you know, um, not really trying to get done what we were trying to get done, you know. Um, so it really just got completely outplayed. I mean, if you watch the game, look at the stats and every pretty much every aspect, um, points in the paint, second chance points, fast break points. Uh, we turned them over 18 times, but other than that, um, they, they they just outplayed us tonight. I mean, that's uh, basically wrap it up in a 30-second clip. It really feels like the team didn't approach this with the same level of urgency that the fans maybe thought that the mm-hmm. Pacers brought to this night. Like, they just couldn't match the expectations that others had placed on this game. If the, If it's about low energy with rest... Home floor? Like, what are we even talking about here? Low energy. And it's different if this happened in November. But at this point, your margin for error is so thin. This could be a game we look back on in a week and a half that bites you in the ass because you might be one quarter away you of a good a performance. finished a half game back of Atlanta for eighth. And you look at this one. Like, we don't know. There's nine games left. I'm just saying that this might be one we circle. So... A disappointing loss for the Raptors ends their seven-game winning streak at home, 118-114. The Pacers, they play again tomorrow night against the Detroit Pistons, who are a team that also loves to beat the Toronto Raptors. And this is another one at home before they play the Wizards on Sunday at home and then the Miami Heat on Tuesday at home. You have to win the next three games. You have to win the next three games at home. Yeah, yeah, you do. You do. I don't know if they're going to approach it that way. Uh, with, they should be. With a couple guys sitting and low energy. I don't know if they're going to think about it the same that way that we do. How about the incentive, too, should have been like, uh, you've already lost to the Pacers, what, twice already this year? Right. Now swept. Pacers sweep that, you. D- that didn't, like, come into the, uh, the evaluation process, the scouting process coming to this game. Just we've already lost them a couple times. We'll just start slow and see if we can overcome that hurdle that's made more difficult by our own accord. How about OG Ananobi, too, last night offensively? Two for 13, one of seven from three, seven points, 37 minutes. An offensive nightmare for a guy who probably had to step up if you're going to win with three guys out. I mean, yeah, Nurse said the same thing. We need our three guys guys to be good. You had spurts of two of them. Yeah. All right. uh, Do you want to do McDavid on Otani Trout, or do you want to start with uh, the NHLPA player pool? Let's do Otani Trout. Okay, so Connor McDavid, uh, we're going to talk about him a few times today. He spoke post or yeah, post morning skate on Wednesday about the World Baseball Classic, which has become a point of joy in a lot of people's lives over the last little week, um, but also opened the door to discussion of how do we replicate this in other sports? Hmm, what a novel idea having mm. the best players play the best players. Um, he gushed about the tournament. You don't see Connor McDavid smile much, but he smiled when he talked about um, seeing Otani and Trout go head to head. Let's play the clip. This is McDavid talking about the World Baseball Classic and maybe what this means for hockey moving forward. I thought it was really cool. It's what we've been asking for in hockey for a long time, right? Um, you know, it was best on best. And, um, you know, look, everyone's talking about baseball. And, you know, did you see, you know, Otani versus Trout? And, you know, that's what hockey's been missing for, you know, almost a decade now. So, um, yeah, that's what, we've been, that's what we've been asking for. Retweet because... The entire like I wanted to watch that World Baseball Classic in a vacuum and not think about oh the sport that I love and I grew up playing wouldn't that well, be nice so, like, best on best but that's exactly like a where World your mind Cup, goes like we'd have to do this about hockey again like we have this conversation every single time I guess it's made a little bit different though because Connor McDavid did finally say something the best hockey player in the league went in front of reporters the day after what was the once in a lifetime at bat this head to head that was something that we probably won't replicate in our lifetime. And he took that opportunity to say, wouldn't that be great? We've been wanting this for a while. The players have been wanting this. The fans, everybody wants this. I don't know if it's enough for someone to listen. But I don't know what else you want. Your all-star, your face of your league wants to play best on best. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Yeah, aside from like jumping on a table and screaming, like that, this is this is what we need, right? Uh, I will say though, like where was this in 2018, Connor? Mm. Like we needed. I think Connor's we needed... kind of like owned his his 
stature a little bit more has, in the last two years. And, and I say Connor as in like all superstar players in the NHL. We needed more of this because, listen, there have been some real things out of the control of the NHL and the NHLPA since 2018 when they decided not to go to Pyeongchang. Mm-hmm. But you set yourself up for disappointment when you decide, ah, do we really want to do South Korea? Maybe we'd rather do China. Or maybe we'd rather do our own thing. Maybe we're not so certain on 2018 and South Korea and if it's really, really worth it. Mm-hmm. Well, you wouldn't be in this position right now if you had done South Korea. But they didn't do South Korea. They decided, for whatever reason, not to. The players maybe weren't as adamant. Maybe they didn't have the leverage they needed because the CBA hadn't been renegotiated that, at that point. But since 2018, when they just didn't push it, there wasn't the urgency that they needed. It wasn't the Indiana Pacers. It was the Toronto <laughs> Raptors. Uh, it's it's bit them in the ass. Mm-hmm. If like perfect <laughs> Raptors analogy, this one bit you in the ass because the pandemic happened, then conflict in Russia happened, and all these things have added up where it's just like it's not convenient for us, and we can't do it. And the NHL, you know, they, they had the excuse to not go in twenty twenty two. They had to cancel part of their season or postpone part mm-hmm. of their season. Like it just did not make sense. I don't even think they really wanted to say no, but they had to because and the players couldn't really do anything. And with the World Cup of hockey they were proposing, like Russia's not playing in world junior tournaments. Russia's not playing in world championships. Russia is a massive, massive part of the NHL. And this is something that they're trying to stick handle around right now. It's going to be 12 years, at least, between major international competition, true best on best. It is a massive and gigantic failure on the part of Gary Bettman, but I do believe that the players do wear some of it. You had to pound the table. You had to jump on the table and start screaming about it when you had the chance previously, and the fact that they skipped 2018 really set the table for all this failure. I hope they get to the point, and they will get to the point where they go back, and they'll right some wrongs, but they can't right every wrong because we may never see Sid and Connor on the same team. We may, may never see, you know, Connor versus Austin at the peak of their powers like they have in the last couple of years. We might get short change just a little bit. It's going they're going to learn from this lesson, but it's going to be 12 years and it's disappointing for a lot of people. The next Winter Olympics in 2026, uh, I believe it's in Italy. And that's 12 years after Sochi. I mean, I don't know what else for Connor McDavid to say this, I think that's extremely powerful. Maybe there's other NHLers that come out and say this in the next couple of days, but after the World Baseball Classic, after the World Cup, certainly some momentum when you think about, well, wouldn't it be great to see best on best? But then it can fade away again, and we can focus on the playoffs, and we can focus on what happens with X team making a playoff run, and then maybe it dies off until the next time we see a, head, a head-to-head country-wise, which I don't know what the next, I guess the when the Paris Olympics next summer would be the next time we see well, they pushed the World Cup of Hockey back. I'm not sure if they're going to try to shoehorn it in before that, but we are we're three think, years away. Yeah, uh, I don't think we see uh, another gonna, one like that. I think it's going to be a tall task to get that in beforehand. I will say, though, when the World Cup of Hockey does get going again, which I think it will, if they do every other year, like World Cup, Euro Cup, two years for World Cup, two years for the, or four years for the Olympics, so it's mm-hmm. on a two-year cadence where you're getting international competition. That's the best-case scenario. NHLers better look at that as real. Because they've always had this thing where it's Olympics or it doesn't really mean all that much. And I will say, I covered the 2016 World Cup of Hockey pretty closely. And I think there was decent buy-in. But it was kind of doomed from the start with Team North America, Team Europe. It wasn't real. They were there for a good reason, but it wasn't real. And I think they bought in because it's like, well, this is better than training camp, so let's do this. Uh, If the World Cup of Hockey comes back, you can't half-ass that. Because... Connor McDavid came out and said, wouldn't it be great to have this? Well, you can't just decide it's only great if we are at the Olympics. It's only truly best on best at the Olympics. If you embrace the World Cup of Hockey, that could be great. It's always going to be a little less than the Olympics, but both can be great even if one is a little bit more important than the other. The NHLers embracing all aspects of best on best is important, but the Olympics is still the North Star and they have to get back there because it's the only thing that matters to everybody. I feel like there was a lot of pushback about the World Cup of Hockey in terms of fans. People, ah, it's not really that great. I didn't really like it. But if it came back next year or the year after, we got to feel we're, we're getting like a privilege to see this. So soak it in, embrace it. And it starts with the players. If the buy-in needs to be high. Exactly. Because if you're complaining and you're making this 
conversation known that you want this, you better bring it and you better want to represent your country and see this as a stepping stone to maybe the Olympics and, and continuing also, that. I think it's a great leverage point, though. If, if you're the NHLPA, you'll be like, yes, we're going to embrace the World Cup of Hockey on a four-year cadence. for us, too. But you have to send us to the Olympics because that matters more to us. We will give you both. Both sounds great. You don't think they want both after after watching Otani Trout? Like, more moments, more opportunity, make up for what has been lost? Yeah, but everyone has to buy in. The NHL has to buy in on the Olympics, and the NHLPA has to buy in on the World Cup of Hockey, and then everything can actually mean something, even if one is slightly ahead of the other or more than slightly ahead of the other. And we saw how much the World Baseball Classic united countries that maybe weren't as all in on baseball or don't get the same media coverage. There's high returns, 5.2 million viewers in the, on the final on Monday night, by far the most in history of the event. Up I'm assuming that's just in the United States. Because I feel like oh, sorry, 5.2 it, yeah, million people networks in, a sm- that watch this. in a small area in Tokyo watch 100%. the World um, Baseball point, But up 69%, nice, from the last final. Three out of four of the most watched games in tournament history were this year. And you got to see your superstars be superstars. Well, that also helped them because now Otani rumors are that his next contract could be around $600 million. You have an opportunity to raise your earning potential. All, all eyes are on your sport. Everyone's talking about it. I don't know how, if you're the NHL or hockey, you don't look at what the World Baseball Classic just did over the last two weeks and think, we could get a small fraction of this much momentum on our sport that's very, you know, North American and, and a couple countries in Europe that really tone uh, tune in. It's definitely not as global, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. Unfortunately, it's very Gary Bettman NHL where it's not spend some to get some. It's what are our balance books look like right now? And they have failed to see that time and time again, year after year, decade after decade, Something has to change eventually. Unfortunately, there are like other world issues that probably have to change before they can really do anything, which is really, really disappointing, but uh, they'll get it right eventually. Right. And, and, you know, you mentioned about Russia and the Olympics, and I saw yesterday that they're not going to include Belarus or Russia in the upcoming IIHF. I'm just trying to find the exact there. World Championship this, this summer. Yes, WHF announced Wednesday that Russia and Belarus will be excluded from all world championships next season. It's too soon, said the IIHF president, obviously there's other issues than just, hey, turn the Olympics on as a yes or a no for the for the hockey world. But and, then, and that's why the Olympics works, because they don't have to make a decision, right? Why the World Cup of Hockey probably didn't work is because the NHL would have had to been like, sorry, Russia. Mm-hmm. And then they don't want to do that. They just, it's not, that's not appeasing to them. It's, it's an excuse rather than solutions league a lot of the time. And that's not even really excuse, it's valid. Right, it's it's valid to not include Russia. However, can you have a true best on best hockey tournament run by the NHL without your Russian superstars? It's just that's the existing conundrum that they can't really get around. The Olympics, though, it's like oh, you're invited to the Olympics. It's the Olympic tournament. The NHL just lends its players. It's not run. They don't have to wear anything. No blood is on their. That's a bad uh, excuse me (laughs) for that. That they're not. uh, They don't have to wear it. It's not their responsibility. Right. The NHL washes its hands clean of that. Well, it still wouldn't really be best on best if it's the Olympic athletes from Russia and there's different representation, right? I'm not quite sure what the process is that next summer with allowing Olympic athletes from Russia or Belarus into it. I know that there's still probably questions around it. Like they're not representing Team Russia, right? They did the hybrid representation. Uh, I'm not sure what it will be, but it has been the hybrid, yes. yes. Well, I mean, I hope that this creates a little bit of momentum, but... As you mentioned, really in the hands of the NHL and Gary Bettman. So maybe we see some movement, but don't hold your breath. Um, Okay, so we talked about it briefly. The NHL PA player poll was released yesterday. So 626 NHL players surveyed on 14 questions. They do this annually. Questions are divided into on-ice and off-ice answers. Now, on-ice, I mean, it's pretty much what you'd expect. For some of these answers, like if you need to win one game, who's the goal you want on your team? Uh, Andre Vasilevsky gets 52% of the votes. Mm -hmm. 
in a must-win game, which forward do you think is most impactful? Well, 59% of votes go to Connor McDavid. Sidney Crosby with 11, though. Still got it. <laughs> Who is a top defenseman in the game? 63% say Kale McCarr. Your buddy Eric Carlson, 3%, Justin. That's okay. Yeah, that's good. 400 people voted Kale McCarr as the best defenseman in hockey. That's strong support. That's a lot of votes. Um, 400 players, 400 players. Uh, Who's the best stick handler? Patrick Kane with 46% of votes, followed by Connor McDavid for 28. So he doesn't get top by much, but Patrick Kane being the best stick handler is one of that. That's the third straight season that he's won that award. Question number five, though. Who is the best passer? So we saw this last night, and we teed this up. Leon Dreisaitl getting 25% of votes. Patrick Kane getting 13. Kucherov with 10. I was surprised to not see any leaf love in any of the previous questions. Austin Matthews got 1% of votes um, on the one about, like, who's the forward you'd want most impactful. 1% of votes is really probably just a couple of his teammates. Um, but who's the best passer? How much of that, like Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid combined for so many goals and you see so many of their passing plays? Like, of course, he's the best passer in hockey, but it definitely helps when you're playing with the best hockey player in hockey. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I could put Connor McDavid in that discussion for mm-hmm. sure. I think it says definitely says he a lot about... He won every award. <laughs> definitely says a lot about Leon Dreisaitl's ability that he was that, not that he was the consensus or unanimous or anything, but that many... 150 votes. That many people voted for him uh, does say a lot. You said there was very little leaf. I mean, Austin Matthews did win best shoe game. Oh, I was going to get to that, yeah. Nothing on ice that the Leafs were at all in. <laughs> Most complete player, Sidney Crosby, 30% of votes, followed by Petrice Bergeron. Player you... This one's always good. Player you least enjoy playing against but would love to have on your team, Brad Marchand, 35% of votes, followed by Connor McDavid, Tom Wilson, of course. Yeah, I think the McDavid one, like, looking at it a little differently. like right, They're like, I would want this might, guy on my team. He might put the puck in the net or you just don't want to be backpedaling with him coming at you. Were you surprised about this one? Who affects the game the most around the net? Joe Pavelski. 21%. I'm a little surprised that people like were like thought enough thought about it <laughs> because he is like of his course. legendary hands in front of the net. But generally when you like you could pull a bunch of analysts and I don't even know if they get to 20%. Like even though that might be the right answer, it's just like you're not thinking necessarily yeah, about that. Maybe because he doesn't play in this hockey market. That may as be much, true. Maybe, but... maybe he's a little bit, uh, you know, the people that are living and dying with things south of the border might be a little bit in tune with, Joe, with what Joe Pavelski is doing on a, on a night-to-night basis. But, like, yeah, every time you see him, you're like, man, he can tip the puck. So I, I think they deserve credit, at least enough credit for being thoughtful enough for probably coming up with a lot of the right answers. Mm-hmm. I will say, I think the NHLPA seems to be mailing this in. Like, I remember, like, four or five years ago, there was, like, five pages. I this think is, of, like, boring like, questions. Like, there were a ton of questions. So I look back one year. And there were at least three pages of data last year or three different like Mm -hmm. uh, themes on ice, off ice, player personality. This year, it's like, what, 10 questions, two pages. Very, it seems like very, very minimal. So they got to keep the survey light if you're going to get the correct answers, I suppose. Um, Pretty basic, really. Who's the most underrated player? 23% say Barkov, followed by Tage Thompson at 4%. Which female hockey player you'd most want to play alongside? Marie-Philippe Poulin, 27%. Last year, last year, MPP was 27.9%. What was she this year, you said? 27.9%. Oh, sure no, sorry, sorry, at... sorry, 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 sorry. I'm going back to the first one because I think it was a, a little different. Yeah, Marie-Philippe Poulin was 43.2%. I guess that happened just after the Olympics, though. I also think that maybe you know of more women's hockey players this time around. <laughs> I mean, but she is, she's the she's the best women's hockey player on the planet For right sure. now. And Hillary Knight gets 20% of votes. Haley Wickenizer gets 14. Can you let me know if that question from last year said former as well? That's the difference. Yeah, so Haley got 14.7% this year and did not get any. It was current women's hockey Yeah, so they changed so it to the current difference. or past. I See, think they're, they're bang on. The 14% or, goes to MPP and it's just exactly. like, yeah, that's the right answer. But current or past also helps because... I mean, Haley Wickenizer is pretty well known. So if you're a hockey player that doesn't watch a lot of women's hockey, it's, it's a pretty good answer to have. Mm-hmm. Um, Amanda Kessel and Kendall Coyne Showfield. So Amanda. more than would be watching her growing up. Exactly. And they're in their own bubbles right now, maybe. NHL Arena with the best ice, Bell Center, 35%, followed by Rogers Place in Edmonton. Fifth straight time that Bell Center has the best, really? best ice. Fifth straight time. So they're doing something right there. Shout out to the Bell Center. Best place to have an off day, Las Vegas. Duh. And then uh, this one was interesting because there was no 
there was no like clear winner. It was very tight. Uh, which NHL player is the best guy in the locker room? Mark Andre Fleury, three point eight percent wins that, followed by Phil Kessel at two point seven percent. All of, like there's four people at two point seven percent, two point five, two point five. Very uh, very tightly voted, and one hundred and eighty one different players received a vote in this one. So this is this is the one that. I don't know. It's a really tough one to evaluate because you've had to have played with someone for at least a season, right? And Marc-Andre Fleury is pretty well-known and loved yeah, and respected. I guess a couple guys that have bounced around a little bit, right? Like Arizona-Vegas. Maybe you got a lot of Arizona-Vegas votes for Kessel. And then Fleury's been, you know, bouncing around Vegas, Chicago, Minnesota the last couple of years. So maybe You might have played with him at the international stage, too. That, too. And I guess top of mind for, you know, I couple teams or a couple guys that have played for multiple teams. And I, if they're top of mind, they're top of mind for a reason. And I, and I don't doubt that. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury seems to be like the nicest human in the sport. So <laughs> we'll give him a lot of credit for that. But Kessel, everybody loves Phil. 2.7% love Phil. Uh, last one, the one that the Maple Leafs won. Who has the best shoe game? Austin Matthews with 9.1% of votes. Why is that the question? The shoe game. Why wouldn't it be just best style? Yeah, and I was confused about that too because you see the fit pictures all the time. Each each NHL team is now pumping yeah, out. They're trying to build that. They're, they're trying to make it seem like players have style. All and they have are like suits and sometimes a fedora if you're Mitch Marner. But Austin Matthews bringing home the gold medal in the best shoe game for the Toronto Maple Leafs getting some votes in this player pool. But. I don't know. It wasn't I didn't really learn too much from this, which I was disappointed about because it's an exciting way to actually hear from players for once in an anonymous fashion, mm-hmm. where you know they don't have to go in front of the media and answer this. They just probably fill in a Google form like we do with our bracket challenges. But I guess that's it. See you next year. Maybe they make it a little bit more interesting. They need a more friendly leaf category. Last year. Best NHL player to follow on social media, Austin Matthews got 12% of the vote. Austin they didn't do Matthews? That. Yeah, they didn't do that this what year. What does he even post? I thought it would be like Willie Nylander. Uh, I guess fit picks. I don't remember the last time I saw an Austin uh, yeah, Matthews it's, it's Instagram. A, it's, there's a lot of ads going on now, a lot of sponsored content for oh, a guy. Oh, every single Austin post. Matthews. Him and Mitch, he just ramping it up this year, it seems. I just pulled up his uh, his latest Instagram. September 10th. Was one of them. Hey, that was last year, though. And then he's, he's got a pinned photo of him walking into the arena. And he's got um, a food delivery partnership, a bank partnership, a gaming partnership. Him walking in in a... The Ryan Reynolds... Um, sick Kids. Sick Kids sweater. Mm-hmm. Another paid partnership with a bank. A paid partnership with a car. And him in a Blue Jays uniform at opening day or just, one of the pitches. So He's just checking off those boxes. He's making bank. Yeah. Well, All streams right. of income, baby. <laughs> uh, we got a great lineup of guests today as well. Um, just absolutely killing it. We've got Katie Heindel joining us at 7 a.m. Then we got a chance to talk, talk to Clark Kellogg, who's obviously covering the uh, Sweet 16 starting today. He's a CBS College basketball analyst. He's got lots of fun stuff <laughs> to break down with us. And then we got... Buddy, Bruce Boudreaux joining us. Big Bruce, get. there Big it is get. at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. Bruce, there it is. I wonder if you'd have any insight on any of these votes. We should run through a couple of them with him. Okay. Because he's been around the league. All right. Um, maybe if there's one that surprised him or not. And then, of course, the Wake and Rake Maple Leafs playing the Florida Panthers tonight. Sweet 16 begins today. We need to win at least one bet on our Wake and Rake, okay? <laughs> That's the goal. Oh for six. Let's turn this ship run. around. All right. Let's give Justin some money to spend in Costa Rica. All right. On the other side of the break, we got the A-list. Sportsnet 590. Now it's time for hey, yo. the A-list. Bing bong. Bing bong. Bing bong. Stop, baby. If you are a parent looking to get your kids into the sporting world tiptoe into a job this summer maybe don't look to the mlb bat boy slash bat girl job no? postings that's like the dream isn't it oh, rob manfred is making this a toxic work environment as he created a amendment to the rules about the 
the pitch clock and all this stuff saying a new standard will now be enforced for bat boys and bat girls whose ability to quickly retrieve equipment will help efforts to speed up the game. According to the memo, the league will evaluate the performances of bat boys Ooh. and bat girls and can ask teams to replace them if considered substandard. Imagine little 12 year old Bobby trying to run out and get the bat. He's not fast enough and he's cut and he's we, fired from yeah, the role. We might need a minimum age. We might need like, Teens doing this, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I don't know what they... What, like future Olympic athletes <laughs> not, down not, in the crouch feet. running Although out, sprint with cleats that's on. That's like some different, yeah, that's some decent like dry land work would just be sprinting back and forth getting this done. But we can't have, if it's you if it's that important... You can't lollygag. We can't have little 12-year-olds like not getting the job done, getting I, a little distracted. Do you think Rob Manfred thinks that there's like a guy in the stands who's like, hey, if you take an extra 10 seconds to get that bat and slow the game down, I'll give you couple lollipops like he's bribing these like little <laughs> girls and boys to slow down their pace so then the game slows down like these are kids you're gonna fire them because they walked an appropriate speed this isn't the tennis like the rogers well, that's how Cup. they're gonna act they're gonna it's have to gonna act be like, like the ball boys that are in a crouch and they gun it to get a ball and they get back in like less than two seconds like only keeners get to wimbledon right only oh, yeah. the best of the best this is what it's gonna have to be around major league baseball now it's performance evaluations sad. even for bad boys and girls like the little 12 year olds are gonna go in the office and say you weren't you weren't fast enough sally what what happened there in the sixth inning yes yeah, sally you're on, your, you're on your phone or something <laughs> what what happened there oh it's kind of sad it makes like baseball losing its innocence it's truly right in front of our eyes the pitch clock has gone too far you're firing 12 year olds from <laughs> their summer job at the ballpark because they don't gun it <sighs> couple texts in here quickly. Some other leagues have dogs that get the bats. That was Adam and Guelph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, you might have to bribe. Like, if, if you got the treats going, you definitely have the speed. They might be more trained than the 12-year-olds. Stephen Guelph also says, my golden retriever loved to replace the bat kids. She's fast. Well, maybe they'll have tryouts for that. Maybe so. All right, we're going to take a break because we got Katie Heindel on the other side. We're going to break down this Raptors kickoff of their must-win four-game series now. 0-1, and they got to go three straight to make this really, really tangible. We, we, we might have to stop saying that because clearly they, they didn't look at it that way, right? Clearly they were like, oh, we really, we got to win four. They, they didn't look at it like that. So maybe we're wrong in thinking that it's like desperate times. Yeah, well, at least we'll talk about all the Canadians that did well last night on Canadian Basketball Night at Scotiabank Arena. Silver lining there.